good to be with you. So I have to, I have to be totally honest about why I picked faith as my church in college. And some people might think it was Pastor Larry, uh, and Pastor Larry had something to do with it. But mostly it was because my Sunday school teacher brought donuts from Walmart uh, every morning. And so for a college kid, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. So that, that Sunday school teacher was Sean Thornton. I don't know if you remember Sean. Um, but he was on staff at that point, he was on staff at ABC and then he went and became the senior pastor at Bible center in Charleston. Um, and then now he is in Westlake village, California. And so I spent five years with him serving there. And so that, that willingness to go to his class, I guess, paid off in the long run, um, with an actual job, go figure. Uh, so I was at ABC back in the late nineties. Um, so for those of you that have been around faith for, for some time, you might recall that era. Uh, we were meeting in the gym at that point as, as a church. Um, and so we had a wanna and all those things going on. We did student ministry across the road, which I've heard that that's still going on as well. And so I worked with Derek Emerson. He was a good friend of mine, uh, in student ministry on Wednesday nights. And so just an absolute joy to be part of faith uh, in those days. And it's awesome to be back. The last time I was here was a few summers ago. We had student camp. Uh, There's a a group of churches in the Charleston area that come together to do camp. And you guys allowed us to use this room. And so my last memory of this room is filled with with students uh, for camp just a few summers ago. And so it's it's an honor and a privilege to be back with you this morning. Um, just a little bit about me. I was at ABC in the late 90s. It's, it's where I met with my wife. My um, stepdad is Lee Walker. For those of you that have known Appalachian Bible College for some years, Lee was the vice president there and was best friends, his best friends, with Pastor Chris, his father, as well. And so I had Mr. Chesley uh, in college. And so we go back to the hill, uh, living on the hill and, and hanging out when we were kids. And so our friendship has spanned quite some time, and it's been fantastic to reconnect since we've been back in West Virginia. We've been back in West Virginia now for about six and a half years, moved back here from Southern California about six and a half years ago, and I just took the job. I came back as the executive pastor of our church and just took the job of lead pastor this August, so I'm fresh and new and excited and all that stuff, so you get that this morning, Um, and so I'm going to share a little bit uh, from my heart and what God's doing among us, and hopefully it's encouraging to you. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to talk a little bit about something that we as Christians should value, something that we should value. Have you ever thought about how often you gather with people? You mentioned trunk or treat. Yesterday, we have our trunk or treat tonight. It seems to be the thing this time of year. But one of the things that that is doing, we, we gather as people. Sure, it's around candy, uh, but we gather as people. Have you ever thought about how often it is that we gather as people? It's just a human thing for us to get together with others. It's something that God has hardwired into us from creation. We gather with other people. Think about uh, the places that you gather. I have a few pictures of some places that we gather in different ways. One of them might stand out to you. It's around football. I don't know if football is as big here as it is in Charleston, but Friday nights in particular, 
Everybody gathers around football teams. We gather in stadiums. And on Saturdays, there are people that travel to Morgantown or they travel to Huntington and they gather around football. You may have gone to a restaurant this past week and you might have even gone by yourself, but you were with people when you were there. There's all kinds of ways that we gather as people. It's just a natural human thing for us to want to, to long for spending time with other people. And that's the way God has made us. You know, it's been said when you take your values and you combine them with your behaviors, you have your culture. You take your values, the things that you treasure, the things that you value, and you combine them with how you act, how you behave, you will find your culture. That could be a personal culture, who you are, and that could be a collective culture, who we are as a church. Our values plus our behaviors equals our culture. So then it becomes very, very important for us to figure out how we have the right values, right? It becomes very important for us to figure out how we have the right values. And so I'm going to give you a little formula that that we use, and hopefully it's helpful to you, but it, it actually is the formula that we all use subconsciously or consciously, intentionally or unintentionally. This is how we formulate our values, and then therefore how we act. It starts with our theology. It starts with our theology. The foundational part of our values is how we look at God, what we understand about God, who we see God to be. And that's anyone in the universe. That's not just a Christian, but God is the center of everything in the universe. So for a person who doesn't know him and for the person who does know him, it still comes back to this central decision about what do I see about God. Who is God to me? So my theology is the foundational part of forming my values. It's the foundational part of forming my values. Now, as Christians, obviously, we go to God's Word. We go to God's Word to form our theology, which is the foundation of what we value. It's the, it's the base of what we value. And then from that comes our philosophy. And philosophy, you can think about context. Like for Christians, for us here at at faith, it would be, okay, how are we going to reach our neighbors in Beckley, West Virginia? So we know we should reach our neighbors in Beckley, West Virginia. That's our theology. So then our philosophy is, okay, how are we going to do that? So you mentioned one already this morning, we, the trunk or treat last night. So that's, a, that's a, a philosophy. We're going to reach out because we want to love our neighbors. And then it ends with actually what we do, our method. We're going to have a trunk or treat on Saturday night. But it starts with our theology. Everything is built from what we think about God, who we know God to be, what God has told us, how God has instructed us to live. It all begins with our theology. Our values come from our theology. So it's incredibly important for us as Christians, for for those of us who say God is our God and Jesus is our Savior, that we know what God values. We have to know what God values. We find that by going to his word. We find that by going to his word. So this morning we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 and we're going to look at this concept of the gathered church. 
the gathered church. Why is it that we do this? Why is it that we get together on Sundays and we, we take our morning and we get together every week, week after week after week after week? Where does that come from? Why do we value that so much and why should we value that so much? Mike Cosper said it this way. He said, the gathered church is unique because it is an encounter with the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, spurring one another along in the mission of God. Christ in me meets Christ in you. The gathered church. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other in all the more as you see the day approaching. I've enjoyed your series, Peculiar People, and how Pastor Chris has been taking you through First Peter. And there's, there's a few verses in there that speak directly to part of the reason that we gather here. We're, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, called out, set apart. There's a gathering that takes place among that people group. And we see it illustrated here by the writer of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to give you four things this morning that I see in this passage that I that I think help form our theology of gathering. Why is this a priority? Why is this a value? Why is, something, why is this something that we should give our time and our energy and our life to? Four things that I think we see in this passage that hopefully are encouraging to you. The first thing is that we gather bold, not guilty. We gather bold, not guilty. Imagine... That you were a family living in ancient Israel. Okay, just for a second, imagine, take yourself there, let your mind wander a little bit. You're a family living in ancient Israel, and, and you've been introduced to God and who God is, and there's a tabernacle set up that is the presence of God, and, and you have organized your life around the laws of God. And the laws of God require you to, on a regular basis, Take your family and the best of your flock or your herd or whatever it might be. And you have to travel to this tabernacle. Some, that, some would travel and it would be a short journey and others would travel and it would be days to get there because you're walking and you're, you're taking your family and you're taking part of your belongings because you know you're setting out on this journey. And so it's, it's effort. There's some effort required. There's some effort that you have to put in. To this. And there's also some sacrifice that goes into this journey because you know as you're going on this journey that, that you have to give up the best of your herd. You have to give up the best of your herd. The best thing that you own, the best, most valuable thing that you have, you have to bring it and you have to sacrifice it. And so as a family, you set out on this journey and as you sit out on this journey, you... You're not really sure how 
God feels about you. You know, you've done some stuff, like we all have. You've done some stuff. And so you're, you're carrying some guilt with you. You're carrying some shame with you. You're carrying this remembrance of the things that you've done. And now you're, you're essentially, you're going in, in part for your punishment and in part for your freedom. You're, you're making this journey to sacrifice this best of your stuff so that God will approve of you. So that God will approve of you. And so you get there and you approach the priest. The priest sacrifices your sacrifice on the altar and it's bloody and it smells. It's loud. It's not sanitary at all. And there's a part of you that feels a sense of freedom. There's a part of you that feels a sense of relief because you know you've just interacted with God in the way that he's told you to interact with God. But you also have this feeling of dread because you know that doesn't solve it. And eventually you're going to be back there again doing the same thing, carrying the same guilt, making the same sacrifice, giving up the same things. Over and over and over. So when you would come to that gathering at the tabernacle, you would come full of guilt. Full of guilt. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Look at that real quick. Just a couple verses up higher. It says, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. That was my job. That was Pastor Chris's job back in those days. Day after day after day. And it can never take away sins. So we gathered in that era, we gathered guilty. But look at what happened in verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. What do you do when you're done? You sit down. You contrast that with with the priest and it was day after day after day after day after day receiving these sacrifices that could never work. They would never take away sin. I would leave with this just knowing that I'm going to be back and it's going to be the same thing and it's going to happen again and I'm going to have to carry this with me again and again and again. I'm carrying this guilt. When Jesus came and he died in our place, the perfect sacrifice for us, it was once and forever, and he sat down. Because it's over. It's over. So now when we gather, we don't gather out of guilt. We don't gather because someone said, hey, you have to do this in order to appease God. In order for God to love you or like you more, for you to know that you're standing with God is okay. We don't gather for any of that. Gather out of boldness. 
We gather out of boldness. We approach the throne of grace now with boldness because of the sacrifice of Christ. We can come to him fully and freely without guilt, full of boldness. So when you come to this place, Coming expectant because Jesus has already paid for your sin. It's already paid for. It's already done. So you can approach boldly. You can ask boldly. There's a boldness that is carried with us. Our boldness comes from the sacrifice of Jesus, not our own. Not our own. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on him. Number two, number two, we gather confident, not uncertain. Confident, not uncertain. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Since he who promised is faithful. Since he who promised is faithful. Again, there's not something that I have to bring, not something that I have to carry. You didn't have to go to your herd this morning and pick out the best thing and bring it with you. There aren't sheep standing outside because you had to bring that. Because it's not about you and what you brought. It's not about me and what I brought. It's not about this group of elders and what they brought. Our confidence is in the God who made the promise. Our confidence is in the God who made the promise. So we gather, not uncertain, not wondering if God is going to accept us, but confident in who he is and confident in what he's done and in his faithfulness. And so our value of gathering together is built on his faithfulness, not our own. Not our own. So we gather confident, not uncertain. Number three, number three, we gather in a collective way, not alone. We gather in a collective way, not alone. Look at verse 24, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. I had lunch with a uh, leader in our church, he leads a lot of our men's ministries and, and he loves it. And he has like four or five groups that he leads throughout the week, mornings, evenings, just any time that he can, that he can pour in to other dudes. He's, he's totally and he's totally willing to do that and wants to do that and loves to do that. And we were having lunch and we were talking about his mindset and how he thinks about life and ministry and, and all of those things. And um, he said something. He said, you know, I'm to the place in my life where I, I don't go to church on Sunday morning looking for what I can get. But I go to church on Sunday looking for how I can invest in others. How I can invest in others. And I love this word that, that the writer of Hebrews uses here. He says, let us consider. Consider one another. You know, that word is... is has some preparation to it, doesn't it? Like it has some, some thought to it, right? It's, it's a, it's a, I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time and some energy thinking about this. I'm going to consider 
the others that I'm going to encounter as we gather. That could be maybe on a Saturday that you carve out some time in your, in your calendar, your schedule, and you, you literally consider those who are going to be here. You consider what is going on in their life and, and what's happening with them. And maybe they've gone through some loss recently, or maybe they've gone through a, a high moment in their life, like a celebration moment, or maybe they've, they've had a new birth or, you know, whatever it might be, but there's a, there's a consideration of who we're going to encounter. There's a preparation in, in ancient Israel, there was, there was preparation of the sacrifice. There was time that you had to put in to get the sacrifice ready. You had to, you had to figure out, okay, this is the one. And probably there was a chase at some point that, to get that sacrifice. But there was preparation to make the journey to go and worship. And so that can apply, but in a different way now. It's not considering necessarily that, but it's considering each other. Because the gathering is for each other. We get together because we're together. We don't get together because I needed an audience or Pastor Chris needed an audience. That's not why we're here. We get together because we need each other in the world that we live in today. That's why we have this. And so we we take time, we take thought, we take care, we take love and consider each other to do what? To do what? What does he say? To provoke love and good works. Provoke is, is typically like a negative word, isn't it? Like you don't necessarily think of provoke in a positive way. Like if you hear that, maybe you're a parent and you think don't provoke your kids. <laughs> like it's, that's where your head goes. But provoke is typically a negative word. But here he uses it in the positive form. He, he, he's using it in a positive sense. He says provoke each other, literally like prod each other on to love and good works. Now, why would we need that? I mean, when I look across this gathering of people, I am certain that no one here needs prodded to love better or to love more. I'm sure you've got that totally down. Right? Because the, life is hard. It's because life is hard. And you need, and I need, people in our lives that are going to provoke us to love, even when that's not the normal response, even when that's not the response that makes the most sense, even when that's the response that's difficult, even when that's the response that, like, I'm looking at everybody else and they're not doing that. I need encouragement in my life. I need someone alongside of me that's going to provoke me to that. Because that's what God's called me to. And that's a value that I have in my life. And I'm sure it's a value you have in your life. And so I need words in that way. So he says, provoke each other. Consider one another. Think about one another. Think about preparing for encountering each other. To do what? To help each other love more. To help each other love more. To help each other do good things in this world. It's part of the point of this gathering is we spend time on and with each other. It's part of the point. So we gather collective, not alone. Collective, not alone. Number four. Number four, we gather focused, not distracted. Focused, not distracted. Look at verse 25. 
not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's literally saying that the neglecting of gathering together can become a habit. You know, we just went through a really tough season with the pandemic and all of the things that the pandemic brought. And it changed behaviors as situations and circumstances and experiences do. It changed behaviors. We get into rhythms. We get into, into the way we do things and it becomes a habit. And the writer of Hebrews here is literally saying that neglecting to gather together can become a habit. You think about it, like you look outside and it's beautiful today. And you guys live a whole lot closer to the New River Gorge than I do. Like it's beautiful today. There are options in our society. There are options in our way of life. There are, there are options for us to consider as we think about what we're going to do with our Sunday mornings. I'm sure there are lots of things that you could be doing this morning. Lots of things that you could be giving your time to. Lots of things that are vying for that. Maybe one of them is just sleep. But the author of Hebrews is, is saying that as we neglect this gathering together, it can, it can become a habit. It can become something that just becomes normal for us. And he literally says, don't do that. Don't do that because you, you need this. You need this in your life. You should be craving this in your life. And so you should value this. You should make this purposeful, intentional. Like you should be thinking about this and considering this. And what am I going to bring to this gathering to offer? That's the habit that I'm here because I'm needed. I'm here because I'm needed. And it's a big deal. There's a recent book that just came out called The Great De-Churching. Anybody heard of that? The Great De-Churching. Um, I think it's, it's literally like two months old. Uh, just came out. And, it's, and the, the data underneath that is, is by a guy named Ryan Burge. If you're on Twitter or X, um, he's a great follow. If you like stats and analytics and all those things, I'm a numbers guy. I love that stuff. Um, and so he's got stats and numbers and polls on everything under the sun. Um, but one of the things that he has studied is the, the migration of people with church. He studied kind of how that's, how, how that's put together. The very first page of the very first chapter of this book says this. In the United States, we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country as tens of millions of formerly regular Christian worshipers nationwide have decided they no longer desire to attend church at all. About 40 million adults in America today used to go to church, but no longer do, which accounts for around 16% of our adult population. 16%. Of those 40 million people, if you read along in the book, you find different categories that they use to kind of describe those 40 million people. Half 
20 million people are what they just called cultural Christians. These are people who fell out of the habit. It wasn't because they had some bad experience with the church. It wasn't because they, they went through some falling away of faith or deconstruction of their faith. In fact, when asked, they, they actually considered the church to be a valuable thing. They actually considered faith to be a valuable thing in their life. They felt like this was an important thing in their life, but their rhythm of life just changed. It just changed. 20 million people in our country neglected. They just neglected. It's all it came down to is they just neglected. So this warning is so appropriate for us today. This warning is so appropriate for us to listen to, for us to heed, for us to look at ourselves and our habits and our rhythms and say, I'm susceptible to this, just like those 20 million people are susceptible to this if I don't value the gathering of the church. I can accidentally form a habit. I can accidentally form a habit that neglects this. And as you look around the world, he says all the more as the day approaches. All the more. Why? Because things are not going to get better and more peaceful. They're going to get crazier and more chaotic. So we need each other. We need this time all the more as the day approaches. We need it more as the day approaches, not less. We need to value it higher, not lower. We need to come more prepared, not less. It's that important. It's that important. We have to reverse this trend. You know, 86% of the people who would call themselves cultural Christians or would be defined that way would attend church again if asked by a friend. 6% if asked by a pastor. There's something about us that, I don't know. 86% said, yeah, if my friend asked me to go, I'd definitely go. 86%. Are we bringing people with us as we gather? You know, I'll close with this. When I was a a kid, um, I lost my dad when I was 11. So to pancreatic cancer, some of you have that story in your life. Um, It's why now I have a stepdad, Lee Walker. Um, He had a very similar story with his wife. And so I have some memories of my father. So we grew up in, or I grew up in Jackson County. Um, down in between Ravenswood and Ripley, which which there's a little town there called Cottageville, um, and very little town. Like it was, it was an era where you basically ran the neighborhood and everybody's house was your house. And it was that timey time of life and just a great time, just a great time. Um, one of the things that I was involved in was youth soccer. Uh, I'm sure we got some soccer players in the building. Um, so I I played Jackson County youth soccer and it was, 
it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. My dad refed, and, and he had a motorcycle, and I can still remember riding home from practice on the motorcycle. And for some reason, I can remember the pegs on my feet and how they vibrated against my feet, just little things that stick out. But um, there was one time we had a game, and it was scheduled on a Wednesday night, not even a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night. And my father, who was the pastor of our church, looked at me and said, you can go to part of the game, but it's going to overlap with church. And so when it comes time for us to go to church, you're going to have to leave the game and we're going to go to church. That was not a fun thing to hear. It was not a fun thing to hear. And I thought, like a lot of kids think, I thought, you know, once I get there and I get into the game and I start playing and everything's going and all this stuff's happening that, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll let it go and he'll let me stay and he'll see how big a deal this game is and, and that'll, that'll be it and, and that'll be the way it goes. That's what I thought. So it was right after halftime and we were up three to one. I still remember. We were up three to one winning and playing well and... Um, we had just started the second half and my father from the sidelines, we're literally playing like the ball is in play. I'm on the field running after the ball, playing soccer. And my father looks at me and says, John, it's time to go. And I'm, I'm like, what? I knew not to argue, but what I like, he said, no, we got to go. It's time for church. And so I ran off the field in the middle of the game, in the middle of the game, ran off the field I mean, tears just like falling. Like, I mean, every, I was sobbing. I'm a mess. We run over to the car. And the way this field was is we were parked over here and the field was like this. And the road went alongside of the field and then alongside of behind the goal, like to get out. So we had to drive alongside of the field and then we had to drive on the, on the end line past the goal to leave. And so we're driving and three to one, we were winning three to one. And as soon as we stop at the stop sign and turn right to go behind the goal, the other team scores. It's three to two. Man, like you would have thought this was a world cup game to me. Like I am like, you don't understand dad. This is it. Like we're going to lose this game. And this is what did he do in that moment? His behaviors matched his values. His behaviors matched his values. He said, I value this. So therefore, I'm going to act in such a way that proves that I value this. We gather. That's what we do. It's what we're called to. We gather in boldness because Jesus has sacrificed for us. Let's not forsake that. Can we pray? God, thanks so much for the day. Thank you for the chance to be here. Thank you for this wonderful group of people who you're moving in and working in. I pray blessings on this church. I pray you would do remarkable things through this body, uh, that, that Beckley would be different, that people here would be introduced to Christ and grow in Christ because of the presence of this church. I pray strength and courage over the, the leadership of this church, that you would inhabit them, that you'd work through them, you would lead them, give them discernment and wisdom and passion. Thank you so much for your word. 
I pray that you would enable us and empower us to have the habit of gathering. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.